Welcome to EdSource's new podcast, Education Beat, where each week we'll help make sense of the most pressing issues in education that face California and beyond. My name is Ann Vasquez, EdSource's new executive director. I'm also a parent of two students enrolled in California public schools. And as a mother of an 11 and 16 year old, I'm concerned, as many are, about what the new school year will look like and the challenges that await students, teachers, and their families. We plan to spend the month of August taking a close look at the many questions around the new school year. As California students and teachers head back to the classroom for in-person instruction this fall, we'll be looking at why it matters that California will be offering free school lunch to everyone, how teachers are preparing for their first day of class, and we'll visit with freshmen starting their first year of college during the pandemic. This week, we're looking at how schools are preparing to address mental health and well-being. As a mother, I saw firsthand how anxious and eager my daughter was to return to the classroom last spring, even in a hybrid format. She was fortunate to have made a smooth transition to distance learning. For her, the return to the classroom wasn't about academics. It was about her social and emotional well-being and interacting with other children her age. That's going to be the experience for many students returning to the classroom this month. With Education Beat, we're going to hear those kinds of experiences from people whose voices are too often drowned out in the broader conversation. Parents, teachers, and the students themselves. Look for the latest episode each week on Thursdays, and please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Here's Education Beat with host Zadie Stavely. The pandemic has sparked calls to make schools centers for healing to focus on mental health and students' well-being when they return to in-person classes. Teachers and counselors say they want school to be a place where students feel welcome, safe, and able to heal so they're able to learn. Anxiety is going up among students and parents. Doing distance learning, being separated from their friends, having worries about COVID-19, and in some cases losing parents or other family members to the virus made living and studying hard especially for the younger students who can't quite grasp what's going on. I think that was a little bit rattling for them. And well, am I safe anywhere? If this is happening now, what's going to happen next? You're listening to Education Beat, getting to the heart of California schools. I'm your host, Zadie Stavely. We just heard from school counselor Amy Dobble-Madigan from Culver City in Los Angeles. We'll be hearing more from her later in the episode. But first, I want to bring in Carolyn Jones, senior reporter at EdSource, who's been covering mental health and social-emotional learning throughout the pandemic. The pandemic has had a hugely unequal impact on kids in California and adults, obviously. And some kids got through it okay. They did okay with distance learning. But a lot of kids really struggled. And not just with remote learning and the isolation of being at home, but their families saw a huge upheaval. A lot of people had to move. Parents lost their jobs. A lot of kids lost parents or grandparents or other loved ones, or had family members become seriously ill. You know, a lot of economic instability, housing instability, plus just the regular inequities (laughs) that families and especially children deal with on a day-to-day basis, all compounded by the inequities of the pandemic. So there was a survey by the ACLU of Southern California. I think they surveyed thousands of adolescents in California and found something like more than 50% of them, close to 60% reported levels of stress and depression and anxiety that were strong enough to interfere with their learning ability to focus. So that's a serious mental health challenge that schools are going to be facing this fall. What have you heard from from school counselors and teachers and 
other folks in the schools about what issues they've seen among kids and what they, you know, what they're worried about in their students during the pandemic? You know, a lot of kids are going to bounce back fine, you know, once they're back with their friends and they get over that adjustment period. I mean, kids are pretty resilient overall, but that's not going to be for all kids. You know, some kids are really going to struggle for a long time. And I'm hearing that there's a real concern about that cohort of children um, and how to reach them and how to recognize them and how to find them. Um, Kids who might be a little bit off the radar they're going to be looking out for kids who don't show up at school, kids who seem particularly disengaged or are acting out in the classroom, you know, more than what would be considered normal. So there's a real concern about the children that might be kind of lost in all this. Let's hear from one of those school counselors. Amy Double Madigan is a school counselor in an elementary school in Culver City in Los Angeles. She saw a huge spike in anxiety among her students last year. We all went virtual, and I think when I really noticed that it was affecting kids is when parents started reaching out to me. And I really felt for the parents at that time because you could see that some parents I never heard from before were reaching out to me like, please help. I don't even think these parents had known that a school counselor existed in their school before that point, and they were like, I need help. My students showing behaviors I've never seen before. Seeing that increase in parent referrals is when I started to notice like, oh, we're in a crisis mode. This is happening. Parents were telling Double Madigan that their kids were throwing things around the house, that they were refusing to do work. So she started telling them about what teachers and counselors use in school to help with this kind of behavior. So there's systems we have in school like charts and rewards and students getting positive reinforcement. And if you're a parent and you're not in education, you don't really know those skills. And so these parents were lacking a lot of these skills and I was teaching them because it would make their life easier at home. Like, okay, well, do you have a chart? Do you have a routine? Do you have um, their schedule laid out for them? And we actually, the elementary counselors and I got together and we did a parent presentation on how they can cope with these behaviors at home. But it's easier said than done when you're not in the home and the parents are stressing and you know the kids are stressed. For a lot of us, when you think of anxiety, we sort of think of people, you know, talking about being worried or um, expressing their anxiety in like a fear way. And I know it, it sometimes looks different in kids. Can you share a little bit about what trauma or stress or anxiety that might be caused by COVID or other issues, what, what that kind of looks like in elementary school kids? You hit the nail on the head, like anxiety really does look different for elementary school kiddos and parents or teachers think of anxiety being fear-based or worries. And sometimes anxiety comes out in elementary school students as resistance to school or not doing work or behaviors or incessantly talking about something. Um, And to look out for those signs in elementary school students, you have to be almost hyper aware because it can sneak up on you. And so when I would talk to students, I could sense anxiety because of their body language over Zoom or they would avoid trying to talk about something. They don't want to talk about their missing homework assignment that they didn't do because that gives them uncomfortable feelings. So I try to explain to parents like when it's uncomfortable for them, that is a source of anxiety. Double Madigan noticed that in addition to all the stress her students faced, 
many felt the same pressure to succeed as before the pandemic. They still were holding themselves to the same standards, and it was hard to tell parents and students, like, take a step back. This is an unusual circumstance. We have to take care of ourselves first, and we have to make sure that we're doing things we enjoy. Like, it's okay that you didn't finish all your homework. So that was, I think, a big adjustment, teaching students how to self-care and how to lower that anxiety so that they weren't putting too much pressure on themselves to do a thousand other things. The anxiety double Madigan saw in her students wasn't just from the pandemic. She also saw a lot of anxiety after the highly publicized police killing of George Floyd, which led to national protests. For some students of color, they experienced that, but to see it blasted on the news and mainstream media and see everybody uprising, which was a great movement, but for some students, that wasn't at the forefront of their attention before. A student had shared with me that um, they were scared that their dad worked so late and their dad was a person of color and they were really scared about their dad being out late and getting pulled over for no reason. And that's like a very valid fear that maybe was like rooted in them always, but we want our kids to be self-aware and aware of the possibilities of things like that happening, but we don't want them to incessantly worry about it and have it cause too much room in their mind. So in a good way, I think that it helps students open up a little bit more and share things that they may have not felt comfortable sharing before But I also think that the main source of all of that was just the fear of the unknown. And I think we can relate to that as adults as well. But as adults, we have more coping mechanisms and kids are like, what's going on with my world? My world is so rattled right now. What do you expect to see this fall? You know, I've heard about a lot of money coming into schools, a lot of talk about money for mental health. Um, Can you tell me what's happening in your district? I am very happy to say that the money towards mental health in California is incredible and I don't want it to go away. And my district took that money and they hired full-time elementary school counselors, which we had never had before. So I was at one school, but my colleagues were split between two schools. And truly students deserve so much more than that. Having access to more counselors is especially important now as students return to school, Double Madigan says. After all they've been through this past year, students will need help readjusting to in-person school. There's social skills, you know, they haven't seen their peers in so long. So following the school rules, then I think there's, you know, social, emotional health to focus on, too. So just building that classroom community I think is going to be super, super important in the fall. And then another thing too is I saw a lot of LGBTQ community come out. And I think that a lot of people don't think that happens in elementary school, but it does. And so my district also invested in training for um, LGBTQ. I hope that this year we can collect a lot of data that says, look what a full-time elementary school counselor does and the benefits it has on students um, through attendance or grades or things like that. This is an opportunity for things to be proved so that they don't go away. That was Amy Dobble Madigan, elementary school counselor in Culver City in Los Angeles. You're listening to Education Beat. I'm your host, Zadie Stavely. 
I'm speaking with Carolyn Jones, senior reporter at EdSource. You know, in addition to all the anxiety and stress caused by just living in a pandemic and doing distance learning and sort of not being around friends, there's this other pretty deep issue of grief and loss during the pandemic. And, you know, there are some estimates that some 40,000 kids have lost a parent. Of course, many more kids across the country have lost, you know, loved ones, relatives who are not parents or family friends. Um, What are schools doing about that? You know, grief is a little bit different than stress and anxiety because grief doesn't really go away. It's just kind of part of being alive and everybody experiences it. It's part of the human condition. Um, And schools have learned a lot about how to deal with that by looking at what has, you know, up in the areas where we've had wildfires, Um, you know, because it's not just losing a parent, you know, losing a a home, losing a pet, uh, losing, you know, moving. I mean, all these things, losing your friends. I mean, all these things can be just deeply traumatic for children and losing your town. (laughs) And so a lot of school counselors and teachers and mental health experts have really turned to Butte County and Sonoma County and Shasta County, these places that have just been hammered by wildfires and said, you know, what are you seeing with kids? What's presenting in the classroom and how can schools help? And, you know, one thing I learned by talking to the teachers up in Butte County is that the school really becomes kind of a hub for the community and it's where the family can access mental health services. And it's, it's kind of a safe place where kids can go to feel comfortable and safe and, and talk to somebody if they need to. I mean, obviously the school can't make everything right in their lives, but the school can be kind of a place of comfort, you know? So um, they spend a lot of time teaching staff to just kind of, you know, adjust your expectations, go easy on kids, you know, expect ups and downs. And, you know, talk to families, talk to parents, invite them into the conversation too. As schools come back to in-person learning, there's a huge focus on mental health. Can you share a little bit about what you're hearing schools are going to do? Yeah, they're doing a lot, Zadie. Um, The state has budgeted billions of dollars for schools to invest in mental health measures right now to kind of prepare students for the return to in-person learning. Um, They're doing everything from funding field trips and, you know, art education, which is a great way to help kids deal with mental health issues. Uh, to hiring more counselors and social workers and psychologists, to um, training teachers to recognize signs of trauma in children. And they're also training teachers about little things you can do in the classroom throughout the day to check in on kids' mental health and also recognize signs of more serious problems. And they're also using that money to set up partnerships with uh, local community health organizations and with county mental health departments to just make sure that there's enough services available for kids who need it. Governor Newsom said he was going to increase funding for for school and community counseling programs. And and one of the things that he said was he was going to make therapy available to every Californian under age 26, partially through school counseling and school services. Do you see that happening? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's their number one priority is setting up this. It's, it's, it's going to be a website that's, you know, staffed lot by live counselors 24 hours a day and, um, they bill it as a, as a one-stop shop for mental health. You can, in real time, get immediate help when you need it. And, you know, I think the advantage to it is that it's available all the time. It's something that kids can access privately if they want to. And it will be staffed with counselors. And so, yeah, anyone under 25 and under is going to have access to counseling when they need it. 
And then what about increasing school counselors? Because I remember years ago reporting on the lack of school counselors and the lack of mental health therapy in schools. And Amy told us about an increase in school counselors in Culver City. Is that happening statewide? There's no shortage of counselors in California. Um, There's lots and lots of people out there graduating with degrees in school counseling, but it's not mandatory. Schools aren't required to hire counselors. And so it really varies. Some schools really invest in that and have been for a long time, and others see it as not a priority, particularly at the elementary school level and the middle school level. I mean, high schools are a little bit better at it because, you know, kids need help planning for college and stuff. So it's not a question of a lack of counselors. It's a it's a question of districts' willingness to spend the money to hire them. And there's there's a concern right now that all this COVID-related money, this this year's budget, is one-time funds. And so schools are a little bit hesitant to hire more staff on money that could go away. That's why they're really trying hard to partner with outside organizations, such as county mental health departments or nonprofits or local health clinics. They're trying to look for some other avenues um, to, to hire more counselors. But that said, some districts are actually using that money to hire more staff on campus. Are there any school districts that really stand out to you that you might share with us, you know, that are taking some kind of approach that really seems powerful to help with all of these mental health issues? You know, Orange County stands out to me. Um, they've had a mental health crisis there for that predates the pandemic, you know, high suicide rates and so forth. And so this predates the pandemic, but they've started investing in kind of these wellness centers on campuses, particularly middle school campuses. And it's just a classroom on campus where kids can go anytime they want to relax, kind of get away from it all, have a little quiet time. And there's counselors in there all the time. And they can meet one-on-one with a counselor on a drop-in basis, you know, and they do yoga in there and meditation and they have a gratitude wall and houseplants and all the things you need to relax. (laughs) Eventually, these wellness centers are going to be connected to the children's health system in Orange County. So the counselors and the doctors at Children's Health will be able to communicate So it just seems like a really good idea. And I talked to some kids there and they really seem to like it. They really like having that place where they can go and get some downtime. And you also recently wrote about yoga. Yeah, yoga. (laughs) Right. I put yoga with quotes around it because when you do it with five-year-olds, it's more like, you know, stand like a tiger, you know. You know, even for five minutes a day, some of this stuff really does seem to make a difference. To just kind of get kids to stop what they're doing, relax, stretch, think about something besides school. So yoga, mindfulness, meditation, all that stuff, even for just a couple minutes. Teachers are doing all sorts of creative things to kind of get kids to be a little bit more self-aware. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Education Beat, getting to the heart of California schools. Join me next week to hear about free school lunch for every student and why that matters. Our producer is Kobe McDonald. Our theme music is from Blue Dot Sessions. This episode was brought to you by the California Endowment and the College Futures Foundation. Special thanks to Justin Allen, Andrew Reed, Smita Patel, Ashley A. Smith, and Ann Vasquez for helping get this new project off the ground. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Zadie Stavely. We'll be back next week.